Welcome to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast, Been There, Done That. To get free mentoring services, as well as to see the wide variety of resources available for small businesses, visit our website at www.score.org or call 1-800-634-0245. And now, here's your host, Dennis Zink. I'm joined by Fred Dunnier in our studio as co-host, SCORE mentor, and audio engineer. The first episode is Buying a Business. I'd like to introduce Norm Silverstein, whose primary expertise is assisting buyers and sellers of small to mid-sized businesses. Norm has owned his own business brokerage company for 10 years and merged with another company in 2006. Having completed hundreds of business sales and transactions, Norm is experienced in mergers and acquisitions, business valuations, performing due diligence, determining the real cash flow of a business, and everything that it takes to bring buyers and sellers to the closing table. Norm has been a SCORE certified mentor since 2012. Norm, welcome to Been There, Done That. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Fred. Um, I'd like to start by asking, many entrepreneurs choose to buy a business, an existing business, as opposed to starting from scratch. What are some of the reasons that someone will want to do that? Well, basically, you know, buying a business has always been, or owning a business has always been the American dream. And there are three ways of going into business, and I'll touch upon buying an existing business as number three. But number one, um, the most difficult way of getting into a business is starting from scratch. That's the highest risk. However, it gives the highest rewards if you're a true entrepreneur. Uh, Basically, you're starting off with no customers and no business. So that's difficult. So that's something you have to overcome. The second way of going into a business is buying a franchise. And there are good franchises and there are bad franchises. And you have to really differentiate and do your homework to find out what is a good franchise. You will not get any current numbers or numbers of existing franchises as far as what kind of volume they're doing, what kind of profits they're making. They're not allowed to do that. So you have to do your due diligence by contacting different franchisees of that franchise to determine whether this is something you really want to, you want to go into. Uh, also, uh, one of the disadvantages of owning a franchise is that they take a piece of your total sales, whether you're making money or not, and they do this every month. They charge you a franchise fee, an advertising fee, and usually runs around 7 or 8% of, of, of your total volume. So you've got to pay that up front. Another disadvantage is if you're a true entrepreneur, you really can't do everything you want to do if it doesn't fit into their, their, their system. So um, buying a franchise uh, uh, can be advantageous if you need that kind of help, that background, uh, that support that a, franchise could, that a good franchise will give you. Uh, but you've got to pay for it in the long run. Uh, buying an existing business is probably the least risky if you buy the right business and do it properly because you have immediate cash flow. That's number one. Uh, and buying a franchise or starting from scratch, you don't have that advantage. So you have immediate cash flow. All of the bugs of the business 
have probably been ironed out uh, and all of the problems that the business has uh, encountered at the early uh, stage of their development uh, have been resolved. So basically, most of the dirty work has been done uh, when you buy an existing business. So that, to me, that's the most advantageous way of doing it and the least risky, again, if you do it properly. Do you also think it may be the least expensive? It could be, but maybe not. It depends on the size of the business. Uh, and it depends on how you buy it. Uh, you can buy a business for all cash, which I don't recommend, or you can buy a business with uh, a down payment, and most uh, business owners will do financing. And if businesses do, if the business owner does financing, a bank will also come aboard if you need additional financing. So it really depends on the size of the business. And uh, again, uh, it could be expensive, but maybe not, because again, you're getting that instant cash flow, and you have, that's what you have to determine. Um, whether you want to do that or not. So, Who typically are the buyers? Where do they come from? What are they looking for? Um, buyers, um, there are people who have always dreamed of owning their own business, and that's, that's a select group. They're, they may be working right now or they're not working, but they've always dreamed of owning their own business. Uh, they can be employed, or they could be a displaced executive who... Uh, Based on the economy today, uh, there's a lot of them who are you know, looking for jobs and can't find them. And the other option, of course, is to try to find a business that they can afford to, to buy. Uh, some former owner, business owners will uh, also look for other opportunities. Sometimes they're, they're uh, burned out in their existing business and they're looking for new challenges and they're looking for another business to buy. Uh, there are turnaround specialists who look for businesses with problems. Uh, and uh, if they find a business that uh, they can buy, uh, you know, based on their economic needs, uh, if they feel they can turn that business around, um, they're looking for that challenge, and that's fine. Um, there's a strategic buyer, which is usually a company looking for a business that will uh, fit in with their with their uh, with their with their overall business plan. Uh, there are foreigners who. Um, looking to move to this country, live in this country, and they need a visa to stay in this country. And one of the best ways of doing that is to buy a business. Um, and uh, that would fit their needs, too. So we have a lot of business owners, small business owners in this country, if they have enough employees to satisfy the immigration authorities of our country, um, they can become, and they are, potential buyers. Okay, so... Let's assume that you're ready to buy a business. How do you find the right business to buy? Where do you look? Who do you go to? <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's pretty difficult. Um, there are ways of finding an existing business. There are websites, uh, for example, bizbuysell and businessesforsale.com, where you can just type in or punch in uh, a state, a city, a town, and a type of business and some of these existing businesses will pop up, uh, and you can take a look at those. Uh, I think the, the best way of doing it is to contact a business intermediary, a business broker, who has specific listings who can help you uh, in the process of buying a business. And 
some of the due diligence has been done by this business broker already, so you, you've got some basic information that you can deal with. Uh, that's probably the... And you can look at the newspapers. Some businesses advertise. Um, you can certainly do that. But I think, uh, again, as a former business owner, I think, uh, I think the best way of doing it is to hire an experienced business intermediary who knows exactly what your needs are, who can match your needs with an existing business that's for sale. Okay, so you, you go through a, a, an intermediary, and uh, what are the major steps that you go through in, in buying a business? Um, well, the first thing to do is, is to find a business that, uh, as far as the price of the business is concerned, and, and with the requirements for down payments and terms, fit your, fit your needs. Uh, that's, that's, that's most important. Um, so, basically, let's say you, you find the business, you like the business, it looks like it makes sense for you, and you, how do you make an offer? <laughs> um, well, before you make an offer, you certainly want some financial information. And usually a broker will have that information on hand, um, which will give you an idea as to what the gross sales have been over the past few years, what the net profit has been over the past few years. Uh, this could be very helpful before you make an offer. Uh, to make an offer, uh, usually you would uh, come up with a, uh, an offer to purchase, which would have to be contingent upon your doing due diligence, contingent upon getting an, accepting, an, accepting, an accepting, acceptable lease, uh, because not finding a, uh, uh, a lease that will be acceptable to you uh, is a deal killer. Landlords are not very, uh, they don't like to give leases to people they don't know, especially if they've been getting paid every month by the current owner. So you have to find a landlord and the, uh, uh, the business owner usually will put you in touch with the landlord and you get to know the landlord and um, if you don't have a lease that's acceptable to you, uh, you have the right of, of null and voiding the, the, the contract. So that's, that's very important. Plus, you have to do your due diligence. You need a few weeks to do that. And if the due diligence doesn't prove the numbers that you have been given, uh, you also have the right to back out. So you're not at risk until you get to the closing table. Well, let's get back to the lease for a moment. So if a lease is assignable, it, you're saying that it, an, a landlord won't automatically... Uh, allow you to take it over but then again would they possibly renegotiate the lease or is in your experience most of the time do they let it be taken over as an assignment most of the time if they feel comfortable with the buyer uh, they will let the buyer assume that lease because the lease will probably say that it's assumable but again the landlord has the final say in that Uh, otherwise it will be negotiable and uh, then the negotiations have to be to your to your advantage. Otherwise, it's not going to work. If you're going to be paying uh, hundreds of dollars more a month, uh, and you're yeah, you're projecting your cash flow on the previous lease payments, uh, that's not going to work. So again, that could be a deal killer if you have a landlord who's not going to cooperate. And he'll ask for a personal financial statement, so he'll know something about you. 
Uh, and again, with the meeting, uh, if you have a meeting of the minds with the landlord, it should work. But again, uh, that's an unknown factor, and that's why it's always uh, a condition before closing that it has to be acceptable to the buyer. I use the word assignable as opposed to assumable. Is there a difference? But did I use the wrong term? It's a, it's pretty much the same. Oh, okay, it means the same. And so, going through the due diligence process, which you mentioned. What does that involve? Well, uh, it involves a lot of things. Number one, you will probably have given um, a projected financial statement for the following for the previous for the following year for the previous years. These are profit and loss statements that you can look at to determine what the profit of the business is. but you want to verify that. You want to look at the at least the last three years of tax returns to see what has been reported to the government. Uh, that's that's the most important thing. What's on a P&L that's provided by the owner, uh, that's, that's okay. However, you want to prove, you want to see what his total sales are, what he reports to the government. No. Um, so that's, that's number one. You should be looking at... Uh, you should be looking at bank statements. You should be looking at canceled checks. Uh, you want to know everything that that business has done. You want to look at the customer list. Uh, and you have the right of doing that. And if you don't have that information, um, again, you're going to back out. So you want to verify everything that's been represented to you by the business broker, if you're working with a broker, or that's been represented to you by the seller. You want to make sure that everything is exactly as it's been reported to you. Norm, given that, that most of us haven't been through that process, is there somewhere in, in this sequence where you should go ahead and bring in your accountant, your attorney, uh, some other uh, resources to, to help you do that evaluation? Absolutely. And um, when I was in that business, I always recommended to have your attorney uh, certainly draw up the contract and also have your accountant look at all of the information with you. You're going to make the final decision, but your accountant is going to certainly advise you as to what he thinks. A business is more than numbers, not that numbers aren't important, uh, but you want to make sure the numbers check out. And then you also, as a business person, want to make sure that you know, from a marketing standpoint, from an employee standpoint, there's other things you want to make sure that are in place. When, when, you're, when you're doing that, is your... You know, your regular accountant and your regular attorney, for lack of a better term, the folks you use for that, or should you go out and find specialists in uh, business acquisition? Do they have a special, you know, CPAs that have that as a specialty, those kinds of evaluations and things? Yes, there are, and there are CPAs, and there are attorneys who specialize in, in closing businesses. So as far as using an attorney, you want an attorney who knows how to draw up a proper contract. Not every attorney can do that, but there are a lot of business attorneys here in town that do that as well. Uh, Most, you know, if you have an accountant who just does taxes, that's not going to work, but there are accountants who are familiar with the due diligence process who can be very helpful in at least verifying with you uh, the books and records of the company. How do you account for a business owner that has a car through the business, goes out to restaurants every day of the week and takes his wife out in the evening and uh, 
How do you account for the amount of profit, of true profit, in a company uh, that is kind of hidden? Great question. And I think all of the things that you just mentioned are one of the, some of the advantages of owning your own business. You can do that, and it's certainly legitimate. Uh, however, you have to prove that to the prospective buyer. In other words, if you have a car that you're using for business, or even not using it for business, if it's on your expense statement, if it shows as a cost of business, that's part of the owner benefits. In other words, uh, when you're looking at what the business is truly uh, earning for you, uh, you want to take that bottom line and the tax return and add back to that what the buy, what the seller is really taking out of the business, which could be a car. Uh, he could have his son in college uh, listed as an expense uh, on, on, on his business statement. But again, that's, not, you may not want to do that, but that's, that's money in your pocket. Uh, if there's $20,000 of depreciation on the uh, profit and loss statement or on a tax return, you don't write a check for depreciation. But that's money. That's the government gives you that money, so that's that's part of your total owner benefits. Going to lunch or taking a vacation where you're charging part of your vacation to your business, as long as you can prove that to the buyer, that's part of your total owner benefits, not just the profit of the business. What is, what are typically the most other than the ones you just mentioned and that I mentioned about cars and restaurants and your kid in college and. Um, what, what are some of the other areas where the amounts are recast or added back to the bottom line to show the true profit? Well, uh, sometimes a business, uh, some businesses get a lot of cash for their services. And cash sometimes is reported and sometimes it's not reported. If a, if a seller tells a buyer that, look, I'm taking cash out of the business, but I'm not reporting all of it. That's, that's, not, a, that's not your concern, okay? He's already been paid for it. I arrest uh, like that. <laughs> okay. There are restaurants like that, coin laundries, things like that. They're all cash businesses. Uh, again, at that point, the owner has to prove by bank statements and things like that that he really did take the cash and was part of the business. Uh, if he can't, forget about it. It's not part of the income. It's not part of the sales. It's nothing. I've heard stories where a prospective buyer will actually hang out with the current owner and, and just visually see what goes in the cash register and you know in a given week. Uh, does, is that a common occurrence? It, 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 it's not common, but I, I've, see, I've had situations like that, uh, especially restaurants. Uh, I've had a... Uh, a prospective buyer with the owner's permission who swore up and down he was making all this money, cash and credit cards and all that stuff, and he allowed the buyer to stand behind at the register for about two weeks to verify what he actually did. And guess what? He bought the business. I also had a situation uh, where somebody was buying a barn grill and the prospective buyer who was familiar with the business said, if I can sit at the bar and grill for about a week or so, because the owner couldn't prove anything, uh, I'll know what's going on. And he did that, 
And he came back to my office and said, Norm, I want to buy the business. I know exactly how much the bartender's stealing. I know exactly what is going through the register, and I'm going to buy it. So, again, that's, <laughs> it's not typical. It's not in the books. But, again, uh, with a knowledgeable buyer, it'll work. And the buyer got to sit there and eat and drink for a week. So That's that right. That really well and, for him. And, and again, the bartender didn't report some of that stuff. So, <laughs> uh, What typically happens um, after the closing? Can you explain that? Well, after the closing, it de- well, there's two ways of closing the business. If you're buying the assets of the business versus the stock of the corporation, uh, you have two different scenarios. Uh, I always recommend to buy the assets of the corporation because if you buy the stock of the corporation, which is advantageous to the seller, um, you don't know what skeletons are in the closet. And there could be lawsuits pending. There could have been all kinds of problems in the past. And And once you take over, you are the corporation. You're responsible. So I don't recommend ever buying the stock of the corporation. I'm talking about small to medium-sized businesses. Um, When you buy the assets of the corporation, at the day of the closing, whatever whatever expenses or whatever uh, bills have not been paid are still owed by the former buyer, by by the former seller. Um, You're responsible from the day of the closing forward and he's responsible for everything prior to the day of, of the closing. So for the first few weeks, you're going to be sitting and working with, with the seller uh, as bills come in, and he's got to pay his response. He's got to pay his responsibilities, and you have to pay yours. So it's a it's a kind of a process that you have to work with. Norm, when uh, how how common is it that the previous owner stays on for some period of time to help uh, transition the business to the new owner? It, it, it's very common. And in most small businesses, the owner will agree to stay on for about 30 days. And that's always negotiable, but that's a typical 30, 45 days. That's about it. Uh, usually beyond that, if the buyer requires that, uh, he would have to pay the owner uh, some kind of a salary or a consulting fee uh, for periods beyond that. But in most cases, 30 days is sufficient, depending on the complexity of the business. Um, again, that's it, always negotiable, but it, it, usually at least 30 days is part of the, uh, the business contract. Um, can you explain the concept of goodwill and what a buyer is getting other than the actual inventory, if there is inventory? Um, what is goodwill? Goodwill is the total owner benefits that the company is producing. Whatever the owner puts in his pocket at the end of the year, that's goodwill. So if his, name, not is, blue sky. If his name is Will, it's really good for Will. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> that's correct. But so that, that is, that's goodwill. Some people confuse goodwill with blue sky. Blue sky is like buying the potential, paying for potential of the business. Well, you have to make the potential, not the, not the, not the seller. So that, that's blue sky. But goodwill is, is the to- what the business is producing as far as income is concerned. Is, is there a rule of thumb, going back to you talked about the value of being more, the, it's more than just the, the profit of the business, it's the profit plus all those benefits added back in. I'll just use the word profit to make it simple. Is there some multiplier of the profit that, that 
a buyer should consider in terms of how much that bi- he should pay for that business? Yes, there are. That's called rules of thumb. Now, some people say rules of thumb are dumb. However, uh, in most small businesses, uh, the purchase price of the business is really based on some multiplier, as you as you indicated, of the total benefits that the business is throwing off. And typically, it could run anywhere from one times to five times the total owner benefits, plus any inventory at cost, plus furniture, fixtures, and equipment. Furniture, the fixtures, and equipment uh, is also part of the assets. And uh, another question is raised, and I'll go back to your other to your your question. Uh, when you're putting a value on furniture, fixtures, and equipment, it's not based on what the uh, depreciated value is. It's not based on what it costs new, but what is the value of the equipment today if you had to sell it. So it's somewhere in between the new price and the depreciated price. And inventory is always at cost. Well, is there, uh, you said it could be one to five times. There's a big variance in there. Big variance. Now, it's ba- now uh, well, uh, here's the variance. Uh, it depends on whether the business numbers have been going up or down. Mm. Uh, it depends on how profitable the business has, has been over the past couple of years, uh, recent years. Um, it depends on how unique the business might be. Typically, as far as an average is concerned, uh, and through my experience, most businesses will sell around 2.5 times the total owner benefits plus inventory at cost plus the value of the furniture and fixtures. And again, that's a rule of thumb. But that depends on the industry, too. It's it depends different on by the industry, industries. yes. And, and are there ever any times where the multiple is a multiple of sales or is it always cash flow? Multiple sales means nothing. I'll tell you why. Uh, you can have a business that is that, that the income of the business is $5 million, let's say, okay? But the total owner benefits is 100000 Okay, so um, what's the value of the business? Is it or true? the business could be, could be breaking even, but the owner will say, well, look at all the equipment I have. I've got $3 million of equipment. Well, if the $3 million of equipment is only producing $100,000 in net income, what good is that? I'd rather have equipment of $50,000 producing $5 million worth of, of profits. So uh, a lot of sellers think that the value of their business is based on the gross volume. It's not, because the buyers are not going to look at it that way. And no sensible person is going to look at it that way. I've often heard that a business is worth exactly what a per- willing buyer will pay uh, without um, there being a gun to his head. <laughs> Can you comment on that? Well, you know, we're, tar- we're always talking about... And a about- seller will accept. A buyer <laughs> will pay and a seller will accept. Well, again, there's always negotiation. The buyer's going to have an asking price, which is usually a top-line price, usually. Uh, a seller's going to look at it somewhat differently. Uh, the seller will make an offer. If it's accepted, that's great. If not, um, he'll make a counteroffer if he wishes to do that, if they're close. So, again, it's always negotiation. And, again, if, if the 
if the seller is smart and the seller is really motivated to sell his business, he's not going to ask. He's not going to ask for a lot of. He's not going to ask for a price that's that's outlandish. If he asks for a reasonable price, it will be it will be negotiated. You've been listening to the Score Small Business Success Podcast. Been there, done that. The opinions of the hosts and guests are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of Score. If you would like to hear more podcasts, get a free mentor, view a transcript of this podcast, or would like more information about the services we provide, you can call SCORE at 800-634-0245 or visit our website at www.score.org. Again, that's 800-634-0245 or visit the website at www.score.org.